Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. It was after the Gulf War, 1992-1993, I found myself deployed to the Red Sea, chaplain for a half a dozen ships that were tasked boarding vessels to prevent prohibited cargo getting into Iraq after that war through the port of Aqaba in Jordan. Our logistics port that we were using was in Hergada, Egypt. The squadron doctor and I devised a community relations project where we would lead a group of sailors to clean up and and help out the local hospital there when we were in port. We were going to paint some rooms that were in sad state of, of disrepair and needed some maintenance. As we toured the hospital with the administrator, I was taken aback by the conditions of that hospital. This was the only hospital for over 100 miles. At the time, the infant mortality rate in Egypt was 59 deaths per 1,000 live births. And to give you a comparison, that was seven times the 8.4 deaths per 1,000 live births here in the United States. We visited an open ward, you know, where there were about 10, 12 beds there, and I noticed a man over off to the side, and the end of his arm was bandaged up. He had lost his hand, and when I inquired as to how he had lost his hand, he said that he was fishing with dynamite. The next week when we actually executed the mission and got the painting done there, I took it upon myself, the leader of the project, I went ahead of uh, one of my groups of sailors, and I was preparing a, a dental operatory for the painting project. And as I was sweeping up the floor and getting things prepped and primed and all that stuff, I, I, I looked in the dustpan after I was done, and there were no less than two, possibly as many as uh, three full sets of teeth that were represented in that dustpan. See, they would just pull the tooth out, throw it on the ground, no sanitation, no um, provisions for trying to make sure things were sanitary. And I remember standing there in that small dental operatory, And just talking to God and saying, God, I will never again complain about the conditions of a naval hospital in the United States. Well, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want to get you up to speed here if you're just joining us. If you look at the top of your life notes, you'll see that this is message number 12. And I'll tell you, we're about two-thirds of the way through. There's probably going to be 18 messages in this series. And you're probably saying, how has he done 12 messages on two pages of Scripture? Well, we're taking it a little bit slow. We're, we're chewing on it. We're looking at what Peter's saying to this church and, and back in the first century, and what Peter's saying to us today. We've hit it so far, and we've seen that Peter's saying, have you forgotten the type of God that you have? He's not just some invisible God out there. He's not some fairy tale. He's, he's not something up in the sky that every once in a while you, you pay your mind to. You have a living, breathing, risen Jesus who came to earth to die for you, and he rose for you. Do you understand what God did, Peter says, when he sent his only son to earth to die on the cross? And for the first chapter and the part of chapter 2, Peter just kept bringing us back to this. This is what God has done for you. Therefore, this is who you are. 
regardless of how you feel about yourself, regardless of, of, of what, what others may think about you, regardless of what others may tell you, this is who you are. And he kept coming back to the fact that we are children of God. We are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, his son. We are princes and princesses in the kingdom of heaven. We have a holiness. We have a righteousness that Christ gives to us. We are far from perfect, for the perfect one died so that we might have his righteousness. Therefore, Peter says, this is how you act. This is how you should be seen. And then every time he got to what God has done for us and who we are, and he said, this is how you should live, he says, now that you know what you're about, here's what you should be about. And we get to chapter 3. And if you were here last week, we looked at how Peter said, look, you need to be prepared. You need to be willing to give an account for the hope, for the reason that you have a hope within you. And you need to live the type of lifestyle that's different from the rest of the world. And that's going to beg a question. It's going to cause other people to ask you, why are you different? What's different about you? Why do you have peace in the storms? Why do you have a calmness despite all this garbage all going on in your lives? See, you're a Christian not because you go to church. You're a Christian not because of the church you go to. You're not a Christian because of the box you checked off on the, on the census. You're a Christian not because of who your family is. You're, you're not a Christian based upon where you, whether you were born in Canada or the United States or someplace else. You're a Christian because you're a Christ follower. You're a Christian because you live differently than the rest of the world. You follow this God and his word implicitly because he is Lord. And we pointed out a big difference last week between knowing that there's a God and having a God and having a Lord. The rule of God, the word of God, has supreme authority over our lives. And if you missed last week or any of the previous weeks, I encourage you to get the podcast on your Apple or your Google device. It's also available on our website. Feel free to share it with everybody else. It's all free. Peter said, when, when people ask, be ready to share your story in gentleness and respect. And now he goes, let me tell you your story. Let me remind you of who you are and why. In 1 Peter 3.17, he writes this. He said, it is better if it is God's will. And I encourage you to, to circle those four words. I think that's four words, right? If it is God's will. Five words. Circle those words on your life notes. If it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I don't know about you, but I'd like to take option C, which involves no suffering at all. And yet at times, he said, and we've been through this, at times, life's going to be tough. At times, you're going to suffer. Peter says, but make sure if you suffer, it's for good. It's for God's will, not for your own. And folks, let me tell you, we got to understand why we may be suffering. Some of us suffer. I'll be honest with you, some of us suffer because we're jerks for Jesus. That's not God's will. That's not good. Some of us suffer because we didn't get the last couple of verses of last week's message where he says, whatever you do, do it with gentleness and respect. Live the truth out in a way where no one can condemn you of wrongdoing or bad attitudes. And i got to be honest, Christianity over the years has created such a bad name for itself by the way that some, not all, but some Christians decide to live out Christianity. And they do it with such hatred. 
They do it with such ignorance. They do it with a lack of respect for other people, people who are created in the image of God. Or they do it with a lack of gentleness. With everyone, they get into conversations and arguments and conflict with, and, and then they're persecuted. They go, oh, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're being persecuted because you're being a jerk. You're not being like Jesus. You're not acting like Jesus. And Peter goes, and if you're doing this for God's will, if you've done it according to what Peter's saying here, and there's still suffering, consider it joy. May I remind you of the one who suffered for you. Think about it. I was thinking this week, you know, how do we suffer? You know, how do we suffer today as Christians? And if I'm honest, I have a really hard time thinking um, that we in, in Canada and the United States really suffer living out our Christianity here. Folks, we don't suffer much in North America for being Christians. And I know that you could come up with a list of things where people you know, may, have, may have said something to you or, or ridiculed you or, or belittled you. Maybe you lost a job or maybe you, you, you lost a work because of something. Maybe you were missed promotion because of it. But let me tell you, I don't know if that's real suffering. Maybe at the bottom level, sure it is. We're, we're mocked by people. I've shared up here before how back when I had my call to ministry, when I was working as a line officer down in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, training ships. My commodore didn't like that. For six months, I was ridiculed in front of the other officers at department head meetings and such and made fun of. It was the year that the, the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker story broke out. And, and I, was, I was likened to Jim Baker constantly over and over and over, even up to the time when they, when they had the, the ceremony to say goodbye to me. And even my wife was ridiculed at that one when he referred to my wife as Tammy, not as Lou. You know, some of us uh, may be the only ones Christians in our family, and yeah, life can be tough, and we may have been in a job or a workplace where the policies and the practices were unethical or even illegal, and, the, and we were told, well, that's just the way we do things here. And for you, the choice was, do I go along with this or not, knowing that I'm supposed to be a person that, that brings truth and righteousness into the situation that I'm in? How do I decline with gentleness and respect? And as I said, you may have been not promoted, or you may have lost a job. I, I get that. And so I, I realize there's places in our families, in our workplace, in our culture where being a Christian is tough, can be tough, but it's hard to, to come up. I don't, I don't know of anybody personally who has lost their home, who has lost their family, who have lost their loved ones, who has had their, everything they own confiscated for being a Christian in our country. We have incredible freedoms. And in your life notes, I want to note a few things about suffering. Number one, let's just be honest, and this goes with what I've just been saying. Most of us never really suffer for Jesus. I know that I never have, despite that ridiculing down in Cuba. I don't consider that real suffering. Do I still have some family and some friends that consider it crazy that I, that I threw away a career uh, destined to become captain of a ship in the Navy one day? Yeah, some, some people don't understand why I did that. Why I gave up seven years of rank so I could go to seminary and become a, become a chaplain. But do I really suffer? No. No. Considering the places that I've been and, and what I know about persecution and what I've seen around the world and the life that many Christians live around the world, it's a hard time labeling anything that I've experienced as real suffering. I need to remind you that Peter, Peter is writing this letter He's writing this letter in the mid-60s A.D., 30 years after Jesus died and was resurrected. He's writing it to a group of persecuted Christians under the reign of the emperor Nero, a very evil, evil emperor. And if they're found, if they're found with this letter in their possession, it could mean their death. If they're found meeting together, it could mean that they, they could lose their lives. 
And that's the day and age that they're reading this letter. It's, it's the encouragement that Peter's trying to give to them. He's saying, hey, live a life that doesn't invoke suffering because of how you're doing it. But if you do suffer, number two on your notes there, if we do suffer, make sure it's for the right reasons. If we do suffer, make sure it's for the right reasons. And I don't want to minimize what, what some of you may have gone through, but I'm unaware of people, again, that have been jailed for their faith here. If we back up and, and we look at in, in the bigger picture in the world where, where being a Christian can cost you your life and cost you everything, we can get a little more perspective. In verse 18, he says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Can you imagine sitting in a, in a small home in, in what we call present-day Turkey with a group of believers in this church just 30 years after Jesus had died and rose again? You can still have a memory of what you heard about. It was in your lifetime that that event had happened. And, and this letter arrives. And Peter, one of, one of the last of the disciples, uh, that fisherman that walked with Jesus for three years, he writes this to you. And he says, here's what God has done. Here's who you are. Here's what to do. Here's what God's done. Therefore, here's who you are. Here's what you should do. And he starts coming down to your sufferings, how hard it is to truly be a believer, a follower of Christ in that day and age. And then they hit these words. Live a life where your suffering is only because of God's will and what you're following, not because of any bad actions on your own part. And if you're suffering, consider it joy. And may I remind you, he says, of the one who suffered for you. I just wrote it this way in, in number three in your life notes. There are a few things about suffering. We can't out Jesus' suffering. We will never suffer more than he did. The good news is that we can't out his suffering. And, and I love those words in, in verse 18, for Christ died for sins once and for all the righteous for the unrighteous. There will never be any additional suffering that has to happen to take away our sin. You cannot out-sin Jesus' sacrifice for you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what's been done to you. You cannot out-sin the cross. There's nothing in this life, there's, there's no amount of anything in your life that you've ever done or been involved in that would cause you to, to stand in, in front of Jesus and for him to say, oh, I'm sorry. I can't cover that. Don't dare look at your life and look at the hope of this message of Jesus and say, well, I've blown it. That can't, that can't save me. I don't qualify for that. I'm already disqualified. I'm already out. Because God makes you qualified. You hear the gospel. His, his Holy Spirit awakens your heart and draws you to him. He wants you in his family. You cannot, whoever you are, wherever you are, stand in front of the cross and say, that's not good enough for me. Because let me promise you, it covers you. There's a man who lived in Sky Valley, uh, and he, he passed away about six months before Lou and I came out here 10 years ago. And he had served as an airborne paratroop during uh, World War II. And he was dying from cancer. And he was troubled with many of the things that he had seen and, yes, many of the things he had done during the war. And he told the chaplain who was visiting him as he was dying that, you know, there was no way that God could forgive him. And only after being assured of the unconditional forgiveness 
uh, that Jesus made possible through the cross, was this man able to die with peace and assurance that, yes, indeed, Jesus' sacrifice covered his sin. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. Let me promise you, as we saw last week, this letter is, is written by a fisherman who walked with Jesus and, and pledged to die with Jesus. And when Jesus was brought on trial and he was being persecuted and, and beaten and whipped, it was this guy that denied him not once, not twice, but three times, a third time with cursing. And he writes and he says, Jesus died and suffered once and for all. It covers it. It covers it. It, it, it was the righteous for the unrighteous, and that's the key. It was no mere man who died for us. It was the Son of God, the righteous, who died for an unrighteous guy like me and like you. The death of the Creator covers the creation. It covers everything that the creation could ever possibly do. This is your Maker. This is your God. This is your Lord. His death pays the price for anything we could come up with. And the way he's trying to bring hope, Peter's trying to bring hope, to those people there in that, that, that meeting, that fellowship in that small house in Turkey, into their suffering and reminding them who they are and what's been done for them. This book is not man's attempt to get to God. This book is, is God's attempt to get to man. Christianity is not a religion of, of what you need to do to be holy. Christianity is understanding that he is holy. He who is holy has already paid the price for you to make you holy, to set you apart, to make you a chosen people for God, to make you priests, to make you a prince, a princess. Christianity is not us trying to go follow a bunch of verses so that one day we can, with our fingers crossed, stand before God and say, well, I hope I did enough. I, I, hope, I'm, I hope I'm good enough. Christianity tells me right off the bat, Walt, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. Congratulations, you lose. But the glorious gospel says that Christ did it for you. He won for you. He paid the price for you. This is not a book that, of, of what I must do someday to be accepted to heaven. This is a clear outline of what God did to the great extent to get a guy like Walt into heaven. And Peter writes, it was that righteous man who died for the unrighteous once and for all. Why? To bring you to God. That's simply how much God loves you. And I'll be honest, I don't understand that love. It's, it's, it's hard for me to understand that. I don't understand the, the, the love for someone else that I have no relationship with that would cause me to kill my only son. I've got one son. I don't understand that, that love. To lay down my life or life of the men that I'm leading into battle for, for, for a righteous cause for my country. I can understand that, but I don't understand the, the love that would, would cause me to lay down my son's life. The most unselfish act in history was a God that said, doggone it, Walt, you're never going to get in heaven. And I'm like, well, what if I try hard enough? Well, have you sinned? Yeah, well, that's the end of the story. Sin can't be in heaven. A holy, pure, righteous God cannot be with anything that's unpure, that's unholy, that's unrighteous. But I know I'm in because Christ and his sacrifice for me imputes his righteousness to me so that when God looks at me as a sinner, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that death of a righteous Jesus for each one of us enables us to have that relationship whereby he can see any of us through the righteousness of Jesus. 
Now we come in Peter's book here, Peter's little short letter, to some of the most difficult verses in the entire Bible. The end of verse 18 on into verses 19 and part of 20. I'm going to read them to you, then got a couple things to say about them. It says, He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. I scratched my hand. What? The Spirit through the Spirit? Jesus went and preached to spirits who disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah. It's like, you know, Peter, did you see a bird fly by or a squirrel or something? You know, have you ever considered what happened those days in between Good Friday and Easter? You know, I know we, you know, we, we may dye eggs or we may get the house ready. We may, you know, do some special cooking, get our Sunday clothes laid out, get ready to go to the sunrise service. But what did Jesus do during those days? And you know, there's a gap there. And we have this verse that says, it's the spirit that rose him from the dead. But before that, he took him to preach to spirits long ago from Noah's time. And most scholars, this is a very confusing, confusing passage. Pretty much no one really has a clue exactly what he's talking about here. The reality is that, you know, I could give you some explanations for it, but they're all conjecture because there's nothing in the Bible otherwise it says. It does talk in, in, in Hebrews about Jesus going into the heavenly holy of holies and, and presenting his sacrifice and all, but, but it doesn't talk about this other thing about preaching to these old spirits from Noah's day. You know, some people think that they went back and maybe talked to some people then. Others may say that, well, it's the fallen angels, the spirits that he's talking to. But those fallen spirits aren't going to get salvation. They're, they're fallen spirits. And you know, maybe Jesus just showed up to the fallen angels long ago to say, hey, I told you I was a son of God. We pulled it off, and now just wait. You're going to see Easter come. You know, I have no idea because there's no biblical evidence outside of these verses as to what Peter is talking about. And if this was important, I promise you, Paul would have picked up on this. John would have picked up on it. God would have made sure through Paul, through John, or even Jesus' teaching of what was being spoken with. All we have here is a little insight that something happened between Good Friday and Easter. And Jesus went and preached to some spirits. He proclaimed, he talked to these spirits who had fallen long ago. And that's all we know there. So that's it. So verses 20 to 22. He says, in it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, there's something we do know. Peter says, just like Noah and his family were saved from the judgment and the destruction through the ark, through the flood, in the very same way, it's a picture, it's a picture of baptism. And once you understand this God, the righteous died for the unrighteous, that he took away our sins, that you've come to him, and that's what we talked about last week, that he's, he's Lord of your life. You don't just believe in a God or that he's God but you've made him Lord. You've set him apart from all else. And Peter goes, it's like baptism, that symbol, that picture of a conscience that stands before God and is cleansed, and it's okay. And I want to challenge you and encourage you. Every single one of us should be in a place where we stand before God with the pledge of a good conscience toward him, where I can stand before him, not saying, hey, look at me, I'm perfect. No. Not saying, hey, you know, I've cleaned up everything in my life. No. You can ask my wife, she'll tell you that's not happened. 
I stand before God with a clear conscience knowing I am his son. I'm his son. He sees me through Christ's righteousness. And I don't doubt my salvation. I don't doubt my future. I don't doubt my, my hope. I stand there knowing not what I've done to try and get to him, but what he has done to get to me. And I stand at the cross and I, I say I, ex- I accept the payment for all the stuff that I have done or ever will do. Forgive me. I'll take it. And he says, paid in full. And he grabs the debt I owe and he, he sees it's already been, been signed by his son. And, and God hands it back and says, welcome to the family. You're my boy. Welcome. And because I know what God went through, what Jesus did to get to someone like me, And that is a clear conscience of standing there, not in my own right, but saying I've accepted those last four verses. God, thank you. Thanks for letting a guy like me into the family. And what a family. We don't doubt our salvations. We don't go to heaven with fingers crossed, as I said, hoping we've done enough. Because the truth is, you and I can never do enough. So we may as well stop trying. What we need to do is accept Accept the forgiveness offered, the relationship offered through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Make him our Lord and start living out being a part of the family so that we can populate others like us in heaven. What a picture he's writing to the church. See, this baptism wasn't about real water cleaning the dirt off you. It was a picture that, of, of, of the cleansing of your soul by the, by the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He saves you through his resurrection, and he's gone into heaven. And Peter says he's sitting at God's right hand with angels, with authorities, and with powers all in submission to him. And I may not be able to explain a couple of these verses, but it's pretty clear in in Peter's mind, everything in heaven and now in spirits and, and prisons under the earth, they know who this Jesus is. Paul talks about this in Philippians, the second chapter. And he's there for me. He's my defense attorney. And anytime anyone wants to bring a charge against me, he simply says, hey, that's my kid. It's paid for. He may be an idiot sometimes, but that's my boy. And I put it this way. I think Peter's telling this persecuted church one more time in in number four here. For Christians, this life is as close to hell as we will ever get. For Christians, this life is as close to hell as we will ever get. And this is it. I don't know what you're suffering for the sake of God, and it's it's not much compared to the rest of the world, but we still have many that are suffering for their love of God. It may remind you, this is as close as it's going to get. It may be rocky. I know some people in this room have suffered some tremendous and horrible things, you know, that we, you know, we live in a sin-fallen world. But because we can stand before God with a clear conscience, because we know his son, because we know where heaven is, and it's not because of what we've done, but for what Jesus did for us, whatever suffering we face, we can go through it and look forward to our heavenly reward. So why does God leave us here? Why does God leave us here? The reason we're left here is we are blessed to be a blessing to others. We have a different life. We do get a privileged life here. And if you've done much traveling, as I said, outside the U.S. or Canada to some developing countries, you realize that what an incredible life and, and opportunities that we have. And with that blessing comes a responsibility. Knowing truth about this life and the, and the life to come, the question is begged, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? I want to take a few moments before we end to share. 
I want to share with you some of the tremendous things and, and ways that folks here at Sky Valley have blessed others over the past 10 years. This certainly is not an exhaustive list, and, and the ministry was going on long before I came here 10 years ago. We're building on that foundation that, that started with guys like Maynard Force, for whom this hall is named. This won't be exhausted, as I said, and none of us are going to truly know the, the extent of the way that we've blessed others until we stand before Jesus and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. In the past 10 years, it's been my privilege to, to baptize 11 people into the kingdom of God here at Sky Valley. And that may not seem like a large number, but do not underestimate the significance of each one. And I'd like to point out that 10 of those people were over the age of 60. 10 over the age of 60. People like Neil Gillis, Steve Schmidt, Jim Nisley, Cindy Mitchell, Lillian Wilson, Jacob Valasquez, Joris Wagner, Zadinka Wagner, Larry Bishop, Eileen Pescasio, and Bruce Coffin. And these 11 names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life due to the ministry and the witness of the body of believers here at Sky Valley. I know at least one of them, Jim Nisley, is already with the Lord due to the love and the witness of people like Luther Bell who prayed for Jim and shared the gospel with Jim when he was suffering from cancer. And Luther's now with Jim in heaven. If you've never been baptized or if you've never publicly professed your faith in Christ, I would invite you to talk to me this week. And we will baptize you next Sunday after our 9 o'clock service. Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Packing. It's been an annual event for, for many years. Long ago it started. A dedicated group works throughout the year collecting and in, in some cases making items to pack at the November packing party. And our chapel has consistently packed over 600 boxes each year, as well as raising the $9 shipping fee for each one of those boxes. And if you say, well, that's a lot of money for shipping, I dare you to try and mail a package to your grandchild in the United States for $9. And these boxes go all the way around the world. And in the past 10 years, we've raised over $60,000 for Samaritan's Purse to get these boxes that we've put together to where their destinations are around the world. And we will never know, we'll never know the impact that the boxes have had on all these children. I don't have the numbers, but every year a group goes down to the orphanage in Baja, California, in Mexico, a foundation for his ministries down there that Charlotte Perot started years ago. Some go down there for months, others go down there for just a, a week or a mission, short-term mission trip, and for, for years, Dave Yaden led these short-term mission trips to the Baja, and now they're being led by Lee Stream, and Lee's, Lee is already planning a trip for March 6th of 2022. For years each week, a group of our ladies has volunteered at the Bargain Box Thrift Store over on Country Club. It's owned by Cornerstone Covenant Church, and the funds that they help raise have enabled hundreds of youth who had otherwise been unable to, to attend a Christian summer camp. Father's Heart Ranch is a 24-bed residential group home less than 10 minutes from here for abused and, and neglected boys. And it came into being because of the vision of a man by the name of Albie Pearson, who went to high school with our own Walt Pearson here, uh, who lives here in Sky Valley. Albie and his wife, Helen, had a, had a vision for this, for this home for boys. They asked God, and, and they enlisted people from Sky Valley, prayer walked the property that's up the street, and asked God to provide that property for the dream. And through the prayer walking, God answered the, and gave them that, that facility. 
And over the years, people from Sky Valley have volunteered in many ways at the ranch, doing maintenance, visiting, playing with the boys, blessing them through our annual Christmas uh, gift drive of pajamas and pillowcases and shoes and other things for the boys. And we've got, we've got a couple here in the Sky Valley who came here because they came to Father's Heart to do a, missions or a ministry trip with sowers, an RV ministry, and then because of that, they found Sky Valley, and Donna Priscilla Shager are now part of our community because they came here initially to go to Father's Heart Ranch and help out. For years, Barb Johnson has spearheaded Sky Valley's support of Food Now, the food bank located nearby in Desert Hot Springs. And under her leadership, we have raised funds not only through our annual Thanksgiving offering, but through direct donations of cash and food. And as a result, thousands of people who are food insecure have been blessed by the efforts of our people here. Recently, a small group of dedicated folks put together toiletry bags to distribute them to the homeless people who use the services of Food Now. In 2017, we hosted Todd Phillips, the founder of The Last Well. And Todd stood up here and he, and he shared The Last Well's mission to bring clean drinking water and the Christian message to the entire country of Liberia, border to border, by December 31st, 2020. Well, on December 31st, 2020, the last well crossed the finish line of its 12-year, $31 million mission. And after Todd was here back then, we raised $69,000 for the last well. And I know that wasn't the end of it. There were people that, that here I know, like myself and Luann, who give monthly, continue to give to the last well. And one of the questions that was on our minds is, as Todd put out this audacious goal, you know, this, this putting a man on the moon moment, as he likes to call it, well, what are you going to do once you finish with that? I'm pleased to announce that they are now turning to the Asia-Pacific region of Fiji, the Solomon Islands, and the Marshall Islands. These islands contain over 2,000 islands with, with nearly a half a million people that don't have clean drinking water. The goal, to bring clean drinking water and the gospel to every person there in the next three years. And I'm working on trying to get Todd here next spring sometime during our peak season to share that vision with us. Last year, Jose Gonzalez of Samia Ministry spoke about the tremendous need to transform Latin culture through the Word of God. And through your generosity, we raised over $6,000 for Samia. And this gift enabled them to publish three books in Spanish to try and give a biblical worldview, a biblical worldview in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I recently spoke with Jose, and he's looking to fund a major prayer and repentance campaign in Cuba where the church has been soft on abortion. And in a, as a consequence, in a nation with 11.2 million people, they have aborted over the years 6 million children. These are but a few of the ways that you have been a blessing. And it doesn't begin to cover the service projects for widows, the, the meals prepared and delivered to the sick, the shut-ins, the Gideon Bible distribution in the community, nursing home chaplain ministry, Bible studies, and countless other things like the year that Luther Bell said, hey, let's provide a turkey for everybody through our Open Door Ministries, every family that was in need. And we thought 300 turkeys would be enough, and we ended up having to get 400 turkeys. And Luther, Luther raised the money with the people here so those families would have a, a nice Christmas dinner. At the beginning of today's service, I, I read Psalm 67. And a good friend recently shared with me the prayer triangle from this psalm. I've got it up here on your screen. It speaks to God's call to Abraham. You see, God called Abraham, and he wanted to make a people out of Abraham that would be a blessing to other people. 
The whole intent of God wasn't just to bless Abraham, for Abraham to hold that blessing to himself. He said, I want you to be a blessing and your people to be a blessing to others. And so that blessing went through Abraham to others. And then as a result, glory went to God. God was glorified as a result of it. And the psalm says here that the result, the earth yields its produce. Things are going to go well in the earthly sphere. Well, my challenge to you is to ask God where you can be a blessing to others. And not just on, on, on one level. Look for those daily opportunities as the Spirit leads you. Try to be in touch and tune with the Spirit of God as the Spirit leads you and shows you where you can bless people as you're going along in life. Years ago, I led a couple different groups through a study called Experiencing God. And in it, Henry Blackaby taught, too many people say, God, will you bless what I'm doing? And instead, what we ought to be saying is, God, help me to understand and help me to do what you're blessing so that I may join with you in this endeavor of blessing people. Folks, it's not just the day-to-day. It's also longer term. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you, we have been blessed so much. See where you can be a blessing to people here, to your neighbors, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. We are blessed to be a blessing. And then God is glorified. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.